That's the ninja theme song. The Incomparable Podcast, number 94, June 2012. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And in this edition, we are going to talk about a little... It's a little bit of a departure, I guess, from us. We like all things geeky here, but there's a genre that is not traditionally thought of as a place for geeky stuff, and that's the sitcom, the television situation comedy. And yet, there are many sitcoms that are either... Let's run run through it. They're either... Um, a, they are sort of genre-like, science fictional. They uh, feature geeky-type people. Or they feature storylines and concepts that appeal to geeky type people. And we are going to talk about that tonight. This uh, is a topic suggested by our very own Lex Friedman. I'd like to introduce Lex Friedman to you now. but Wouldn't he, you? But he couldn't make it. So, so thanks, Lex, for the idea. And then joining me to talk about this, instead of Lex joining me, uh, I have fine guests. I have uh, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. I just and I'd like it to be known that I'm better than Lex in every way. We we already knew that, but thank you for saying it. Thanks. Just so Thanks, we're clear, though. you're I on the record. Also, Serenity Caldwell. Hi, Ren. Hi. And Scott McNulty is here as well. Hi, Scott. Hello. I also am disappointed that I am not Lex Friedman. Also joining us is Andy Anatko. Andy, hi. Hello. Thank you for joining us. So sitcoms, um I I think what I said in my note to everybody about this episode was to come prepared to talk about something that you uh, you consider to be a geeky so- sitcom. It, I assume in praise of it, although you know there are also many. Honestly, there are many more that we could condemn than praise. I was looking. Wikipedia actually has a page called the list of science fiction sitcoms. Just looking at that, it is not a good list. <laughs> Maybe we should start Alf. Alphabetically, Alf, the oh, sitcom Alf. about a puppet alien, is it comes in first. It's first in your hearts and first in a list on Wikipedia, <laughs> alphabetically. Right. He's from the planet Melmac. He enjoys How eating cats. First first on the list on Wikipedia is a great name for bands, <laughs> Tumblr log, an episode. Um, I remember watching Alf when I was a kid and enjoying it. Homeboys in Outer Space. Oh, my God. Wow, that brings me back. UPN sitcom. Oh man, I watched I a couple of episodes of that. that. It was terrible. Terrible. That was a bad it. show. I don't consider the the animated. I don't think the animated ones should count. Futurama and the Jetsons and yeah, Invader Zim. Those They're aren't special. Sit- oh, those Invader aren't Zim. Si- aren't There's sitcoms, more cartoons really. than sitcoms. However, Mego, which uh, is that is isn't that the uh, the Bronson Pin show was an alien. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. That's that's actually <laughs> just Ed uh, Bagley Jr. Bronson Pinchot. That's, that's actually just life. Oh. Like Bronson Pinchot is actually an alien. Yeah. Uh, Mork and Mindy. My favorite Martian. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's sure. a classic. That's that's, that's that's valid. That's that's not bad. The, the, none of those were ones that I was going to bring up though. My 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 favorite Martian podcast. It's maybe a little too old of a of a demographic there. So who would like to bring up a, a and presumably praise a geeky sitcom? Oh, me, 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 me. 
Okay, Dan. Yeah, he's going to steal mine before I can. I am because it's my favorite sitcom of all all, time, so I get to talk about it. This is like the reason that you're on the podcast. So please. I know. It is. is Please praise Small Wonder. It's it's, it's MASH. (laughs) MASH. Uh, I hope you all like MASH because I'm going to talk about MASH. What I loved about Small Wonder was how they made the the girl um, speak, Vicky, the robot, speak so realistically. In that True. she spoke like this, <laughs> but she was actually, fantastic. Made as you would, you'd make a you'd make an immaculate robot that looked exactly like a human being acting stiffly, and it then you'd the make 80s. her, and then you'd make her voice sound like this. They didn't it's have the, that uh, technology. It's it's the definition. It's the definition of uh, the uncanny valley. I don't want to take that away from you, Dan. Though, so go ahead and talk. about Thanks, it. Jason. I I appreciate. It. I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about Small Wonder now, um, or uh, what's the other one? Swinging on a star. You ever see that one? Uh, out of this world. Can... Oh, out of this world. That's what I think. Uh, That's the swing on the star was the theme song. No, I'm not yes. gonna talk about. It. I believe Dan Morin. Uh, I know what he's gonna pick, and I know that he loves it, and so we're gonna go to him with the with the choice of. Uh, I, I know he wants to talk about space, right? Yes the the seminal uh, Simon Pegg Nick Frost vehicle, which began uh, their lo- their long collaboration, and with director Edgar Wright. Um, as well as uh, Jessica Hines, Nay Stevenson, um, fantastic British sitcom that began airing in I believe uh, it's either ninety nine or two thousand. Um, because I first watched this when I lived in the United Kingdom, which was briefly in college, and a friend of mine who had been there longer than I had uh, said, "Oh, you got to watch this show," um, and it was the second series of it or season, if you prefer the American nomenclature. Um, and I said, all right, well, I'll check it out. And and I watched the show, and I fell deeply, madly, truly in love with it. Um, and went and bought the, the Region 2 DVDs of the first season so I could catch up on all the stuff that I had missed. Um, and it is, I think it would be hard to find a sitcom that is, that is quite quite as geeky as Spaced is in terms of just the number of references sort of per minute in fact, in the DVD releases I have, they they have a what they call an homageometer, where they put in little subtitles at the bottom of the screen um, what they are referencing at any given moment, and that might be like three or four different things at various times. Um, and I tried to catch them all in there, but there some of them are are so obscure or so particularly British in some ways that I just had never heard of them. Um, but obviously, you get a lot of the big references. You get. Uh, Star Wars is a huge, huge part of it. In fact, is a is a major plot point in the second season. How much Tim, played by Simon Pegg, hates the Phantom Menace. Um, you also get Star Trek references because it's the early two thousands. There is the obligatory Matrix episode. Um, just chock full of geeky references. And what makes it so so great is that. Um, they weren't necessarily defined by being geeks. They weren't geeks in the way that you might see on, you know, some of these sitcoms now that purport to focus on geeks. But it was clear that the film, that the the, the people writing and directing the show, who, you know, obviously included two of the people who starred in the show, um, were huge geeks themselves. Because the kind of references they put in there weren't sort of like, oh, no, nudge, nudge, wink, wink to like, you know, the sort of the mainstream audience about how silly these people are. They were deeply personal moments that reflected not only who the characters were, but who the the actual people portraying them and writing this works. I, I, I love this sitcom with so much passion and, and it has led me to follow the career of uh, Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost and Edgar Wright. 
who've gone on to do a number of uh, excellent things, including uh, Shaun of the Dead, uh, Hot Fuzz, uh, Edgar Wright directed Scott Pilgrim, and they are making yet another, a third in what they call their uh, Blood and Ice Cream trilogy um, called The World's End, which they're starting production on this fall. Um, and of course, Simon Pegg has gone on to to revitalize the role of Scotty in the latest Star Trek movies directed by J.J. Um, Abrams. So certainly a deep bench of geek cred there. But yeah, I, I, I cannot express how much I love these shows. I own I still own on my shelves Region 2 DVDs of both the first and second seasons. Um, and have maintained a region two, uh, region free DVD player for many, many years just for the purpose of watching those. I, in fact, though I do own a region one copy, it has been on extended loan to one of my cousins, so I need to reclaim it one of these days. Ren, do you want to co-sign about uh, about spaced? I know you were sad. That I, Dan no, took it. I'm not really sad because Dan has much more geek cred on space than I do. Since I've really, I've only watched space through about twice, and <laughs> having <laughs> having it? said that. It is still number two on my list of all-time TV shows. That's for me. So. <laughs> What's number one? But uh, Sports Night, of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I when I first started watching Spaced, it was actually on the tail end of um, another sitcom that can't really be called geeky, but still is very intelligent, which is Arrested Development. Um, and... After having watched a season of Arrested Development, my friends are like, oh, if you like Arrested Development, you are going to adore Spaced. And I'm like, okay. And I start watching it. And of course, it's, it is, it is fun and it is witty and it has things that call back. But the, the extra sort of geeky tie-ins were what really sold it for me. And the fact that it's like, oh, they're portraying, you know, they're portraying geeks as human figures who happen to also like you have you have the point the the episode that always sticks out in my head is the mortal Kombat episode dan can you like elaborate on this in this episode because i can only remember visuals but it's something well she's having a fight she's only it seen it twice, into, like a folks, ko so. situation well no it's just it's it's the kind of show for oh me yeah they're having they have an out. argument over yeah. uh it's a it's not necessarily mortal Kombat. i think it's a uh i think it's a different fighting game um, but they're having they're having like an argument, and as each of them scores a point or so in their argument, it's sort of reflected in a video game until the uh, one of them makes the the you know the sort of defeating argument, and then you hear the KO KO KO. I always think of the scene where he's playing um he's playing Tomb Raider after his uh Tim's playing Tomb Raider after his girlfriend has broken up with him, and he's not actually playing Tomb Raider. He's just having Laura Croft jump into water and just drowning her because he's so angry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, there's a there's a ton of video game references, a ton of comic book references. In fact, a lot. Um, I believe, um, as I recall, his last name. So the character's name, the character of Tim is a is a cartoon or is a comic book, you know, illust- illustrator. Um, and his last name, Tim, is Tim Bisley. And I believe Simon Bisley is a fairly well-known uh, illustrator who I think did some sketches, including for like the space cover art and stuff like that. So. And then there's a later episode in the second season where uh, Tim finally gets a chance to sort of draw for one of like the the comic book labels that he loves. So there's there's some comic stuff. There's a lot of geeky movie and television stuff. Um, and the highlight for me is that there's actually a lot of stuff about highbrow art and theater, which is kind of sprinkled in because one of the characters on Spaced, if you haven't watched it, uh, is uh, they all live together in this apartment building. And one of the tenants in this apartment building is a shut-in artist named Brian, <laughs> who is uh, who is a special creature 
who likes to paint in a couple different flavors. <laughs> I watched a few episodes, and I must admit, it was humorous, but it did not make me want to watch the whole thing, so I stopped watching. That's That's sad, Scott. That makes me, it makes me hurt my heart region. I'm sorry. The first six to eight episodes are a little cerebral to get through, especially if you have never watched British comedy before. I know when I was first watching it, I'm like, this is fun, but... I mean, the first six to eight episodes is the first season. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> it's, only, it's only like 14 episodes. It's pretty I'm a short. big fan of British uh, sitcoms in general, and I, I recognize that it was good. It was just, I just, it was not for me. Were there too many Star Wars references for you? That may have turned Maybe. me off slightly. So um, we have we have many to uh, many things to talk about, and I, I think there are a couple shows that we're going to inevitably get to. But I, I thought we would ask Ren. Do you have a favorite that you want to throw out there for discussion? Um, let's see. I have a couple. Uh, the one I will mention though is the one that I feel like, and I think I've mentioned on the show before, uh, was a show that ran I want to say on ABC a couple of years back uh and unfortunately got smacked down right in the middle of the writer strike so didn't really get a chance to to take off and that was better off ted um which is pseudo pseudo oh, yeah. geeky pseudo pseudo science um half hour sitcom that just had some really really funny moments and I think that is actually available in its entirety on Netflix and I urge anybody who like who really enjoys sort of it's a it is a cut above most sitcoms. I won't say it's necessarily the best, like, all-time epitome of what a geeky sitcom is to me, uh, but it had really great characters who, again, it's it's bridging the, the people um, who look outwardly like geeks to our to, – to what we stereotype as a geek with, you know, the people who are actually – like, the people who are nor- technically normal in the show, like Ted um, and his Will – Will they won't they girlfriend but not actually girlfriend um they're the people pitched as normal here uh and in reality i'd say they kind of end up being the geekiest because they end up having like secret hobbies and plans and things like that and, well, it, and that and that show we've got the characters who are in the lab coats who are the scientists yes. and they're funny and they they're, they have <laughs> they a are very, funny in the stereotypical yeah, a, a very nice <laughs> dynamic but you also have the overarching premise which is that this company that they work for viridian dynamics is essentially a supervillain corporation <laughs> and they are constantly inventing horrible things that ted is supposed to find ways to market in some way and portia de rossi is his terrible boss who is essentially uh a supervillain in that she's got her job is to promote this terrible company and their horrible murderous products and and yeah it's that's a great show better off ted it's it's lovely i love the little uh viridian dynamics uh commercials the that they put in yeah. yeah that if yes. you're watching it for the first time you have no idea that it's a fake commercial until it's obvious when they're talking about you know liquefied cows or something like that. <laughs> well i don't think this is a real commercial there's always a fake viridian dynamics commercial in a in every episode of Better Off Dead. That is that is an excellent show though and again another one that was canceled far too soon. But I yeah, I really I really love that. I love that they're always coming up with um there's isn't there a whole episode where they have like an after work club that's basically like like hitting each other with swords or something like that. And then yes. they invite Ted because they they like him and they want to like approve of him, but he gets like too competitive and like too jock like almost. And all the geeks are like now we club. now we don't have any fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's a really fun little show it only ran for what it, two seasons. Uh, it wasn't two was seasons, it two seasons yeah. yeah but it yeah, wasn't they're two both full like 13 seasons, was it? no they're like 13 episodes each yeah 
Yeah, and I think they burned off the rest, the the end of it. But it was a uh, yeah, very good show. That was a that's uh, I think the same guy who did Andy Richter controls the universe. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, another Richard another Fresco. very good show. Yeah, yeah, and, and, very, and a similar vibe to it, very much. Yes, so, uh, Paget Brewster and Portia de Rossi, not that far apart in those characters, and you know, no. When I'm pitching it to people, I often say it's kind of like a geeky Arrested Development with ridiculous commercials smacked in the middle. And that seems to describe it more or less. Yeah. And of, of course, Victor uh, Fresco was also known for his work on Mad About You and Evening Shade starring Burt Reynolds. Now, that's science <laughs> had to get that Had to get that Burt Reynolds reference in, huh? I Her never pitch. believed that Helen Hunt would marry Paul Reiser, so I consider that also science fictional. <laughs> they were mad. I, they were. About each they other. They were literally insane, yep. actually, it turned out. In the final episode. Yes. Uh, Scott, is there a sitcom you would like to speak of, positively or negatively? <laughs> well, I think we should uh, accentuate the positive. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to talk about something that's not actually a sitcom, but... It no! Is- <laughs> You're breaking <laughs> the rules! <laughs> no. That's, that's well. a Nutco's job. Wait. Oh, well. <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. As so- the emissary of the gods, I define sanity for the rest of the universe, <laughs> but continue. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, well, Mystery Science Theater is th- this is not a sitcom, I suppose, but it is it is one of my favorite shows. Ever. How could I say no to MST3K? <laughs> you cannot resist uh, Croti Robot and Tom Servo. So, since it is clear no one on this podcast has heard of Mystery Science Theater, <laughs> no, let me <laughs> no, explain. The absolutely not. <laughs> he tried to kill me with, with a, a forklift. Olay. I'm sorry, we've just broken through like a whole wall of like memes that I have not reused in like ten years. I'm sorry, I've got to hold it. I got to mute my microphone. How, how is it? It stinks. Can't help himself. Ah, <laughs> uh, Manos, the hands of fate. Torgo's Isn't theme. Technically, that translates to hands, hands of fate. So, Mr. Science Theater clearly is is a, a beloved show that we must talk about. And for people yes. who do not know what it is, uh, uh, all five of them. It is exactly. the younger crowd who might not. I mean, now it's only on DVD. Back in the day, every Saturday it was on first uh, Comedy Central and then on the Sci Fi Channel. That's right, and a movie and, as well. Yes, and then there was there was one movie. Yeah, that but it, cool. they are all on DVD, and many of them are on Netflix now. Yes, so yeah. you should you should really watch some. But anyway, so the, the basic premise: uh, a guy is shot into space on the set, uh, 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 a ship called the Satellite of Love. He, it's, it's kind of like you're asking us all to like sing the theme song because it's, it's one that of those is, classic theme songs that sets up the entire premise for the show. It's true. It is true. Yeah. In the not too distant future, next Sunday, there was a guy named Joel, not too different from you or me. He worked, he worked at his money institute, just another kid in a red jumpsuit. He did a good job cleaning up the place, till his bosses didn't like him, so they shot him in space. Get me down! We'll send him cheesy movies. The worst we can find now! He'll have to sit and watch them all, and we'll monitor his mind. Now you, la la la. Now Just keep in mind, Joel can't control, control when the movies when begin or end. end. 
because he used those special parts to make his robot friends. Hey, robot roll call, Cambot. Gypsy. Gypsy. Tom Servo. Crow. If you're wondering how he eats and breathes and other science facts, just repeat to yourself, it's just a show. I should really just relax. For Mystery, Mystery Science, Science Theater, three thousand. That is a, that is the furthest off track this podcast has ever gotten in ninety three episodes. <laughs> and and off key. Well, that's all the time we have tonight. And uh, oh gosh, oh god. Good luck editing this one. This is all just a premise for them to watch terrible movies and make fun of them, though. That is that is correct. So they they watch uh, very cheap movies that they could gain the rights for cheaply and uh, mock them mercilessly, and then cut them up with uh, skits. In the beginning, they would do things called invention exchanges, where Joel would have to show his evil overlords an invention, and they would in turn show him an invention, which didn't really make any sense. But they did it, uh, and they did away with that part. Um, and it's just it's a lot of fun. I watched it in college. Uh, it started off um, on a public access TV show. People would circulate videotapes so that other people could see it. Uh, this is before the... They uh, encouraged gone. it. In the credits, it says keep circulating yeah. the tapes. That's right. And there's even, there's a great, uh, if you could find it, an unauthorized kind of MST3K a spoof. Uh, well, it's not really a spoof. It's an homage that uh, does Star Trek V. So if you can find that, you probably can on the internets. It is fantastic. They have so everything on the internet. They do. Uh, but yeah, and and Tom Servo is really a role model of mine and how I want to live my life as a with a, gumball with a machine head gumball robot. machine. Yeah. Yes, I had in college. I was not very popular, and I had a giant Tom Servo poster on my uh, door. I don't. I don't think those two things were related. But the thing that always got me about that show was that at a certain point, after watching it, you started to wonder, looking at the silhouettes, whether they were looking at the movie or looking at you. Because you couldn't tell. They're two-dimensional. Just like looking into the abyss. Oh, my God. I remember that came to me at some point when I was like looking at it. I'm like, oh, my God. Wait, are they watching me? Ah. That is a really disturbing uh, outlook on life in MST3K that I never thought about, Dan. Thanks oh, for that. Now you won't be able to unsee it. It's like the arrow no. the logo. Well, it's kind of a reflection back on the television show because if they're, you know, if they're commenting on the terrible movie, but they're also looking at you and you're watching them commenting on the, t- my mind is just blown. I love the, I mean, the premise of it by having the silhouette to do to do riffing on movies was not not really new, um, but to do it and come up with this premise so that they could do uh, initially the, the the comedy sketches that would be in the episodes were uh, ways for Joel Hodgson to do his kind of prop comedy bits. Yep. Um, and, but those, so those are strange and funny on their own. And then when they're in the movie with the silhouettes, you always knew when you were flipping around that it was MST3K cause you could see the silhouettes. And what I really liked is that they would try to do little bits where they interacted. And I always loved it when Joel or later Mike would get up and reach up and, and like try to scratch the cheek of somebody in a close up. I, I always thought that was hilarious too. So it was a, just such a, an inventive premise and, and, you know, it was two hour, you know, two hour long show too. So there was a whole lot yeah. in it. 
and and the thing that you always had to sort of remind people of when you're trying to get them hooked on this show is that no 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 it's not like being in the movie theater and those that row of really stupid 11 year old kids keeps like saying things like hey take your top off lady you've got big knockers it's it's actually a writing team that's like far more than three people who watches this movie time and time and time again and develops a script in which every single available second is filled with some sort of joke and their hit to miss ratio is incredibly high and the references that they have are incredibly good i mean there'll be a really i think it was teenager from outer space there's like this big huge like round saucer spaceship landing on a landing on a thing and I think Joel says, hey, look, it's 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 Audrey Hepburn's hat from Jeff Breakfast with Tiffany's coming in for a landing. It's like, that's a very <laughs> hip reference. <laughs> and if you don't like a joke, there's another one coming right behind it. So of course, several of us in uh, several of us in in the incomparable participated in a brief spoof. Right. We um, did the, the Phantom, the Phantom Empire, yeah. which and Steve Letts, I can't believe we're talking about MST3K without Steve Letts here since he, he mm-hmm. has been like he's like a big riff tracks guy and has met mike nelson and but and, i mean the know. thing about that is as andy says like you know we we did a what a 20 minute episode and that was, was hard it like was writing really, that is really different it's a really lot harder hard. than you think it is it seems we all really wrote easy. jokes and threw away most of the jokes and then after and, you do them three or four times they stop being as funny sometimes because you've seen it yeah. now three or four times and you've telegraphed all the jokes so you but you still have to deliver them like they're right. funny and react to your friends' lines occasionally like they're it's funny. Super, no, nothing gave me more of an appreciation for MST3K than doing that riff tracks little short and realizing just how like kind of brutally hard it was <laughs> to do it. And how much just you make the jokes and you think, oh, that's kind of funny. I make a, I, I said something funny while we were watching TV. And then you try to actually do it. And no, no, no. Those just 90% of them, you just throw them away right away. They're just that. No, not good. And on top of that, are you guys like me? It's like I don't think a week or two goes by without my suddenly thinking about a mystery science theater joke at least once, even like a joke that I've just I haven't heard in like oh sure 10 I years. got my friends and I have like you know recurring ones that we always talk about. I never forget there was a, some short uh, I don't remember what the exact short is, but it's got like a guy uh, rocking on a on a chair on a porch like an old guy, and he starts swatting at the air in front of him, oh, and then they the, go the yeah, invisible oh, elves. The yeah. elves are back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one that one comes up all yeah. the time. I love so, the, their shorts. So does everybody? Does uh, yeah. before we 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 can't stay on MST3K forever. Although maybe we should come back and do a two hour <laughs> episode where we. Uh, uh, favorite if we do maybe 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 the mist maybe they'll be like friends with us and they'll like come on the show and we can yeah, we'll get mike to, nelson on the show given he's got nothing mike to nelson do right? yeah, uh anybody have if you've got favorite episodes a, a favorite um a favorite mst3k now would be the time to mention it i'll go first my favorite episode of mst3k is time of the apes which is fantastic because it is like planet of the apes except it's it's a japanese um movie and the logic is that they they um people are frozen in suspended animation and they go into the future and then of course apes rule the earth and there's a kid little kid who every time you say terrible things will happen if he doesn't listen to you he says i don't care um which is a nice running gag but the but my favorite part is the plot resolution at the end when they've done movie length of apes they think how will i end this uh, you know, we can't do the Statue of Liberty or anything like that. That was done by the movie. We're knocking off. So what they do is they go back to the cryo chamber and they freeze the people back 
in the cryo chamber. And I thought, well, this is an interesting choice that they're going to go further into the future. And yet somehow the cryo chamber takes them back in time to the present day. <laughs> I don't know how that, how could it be? Uh, anyway, time of the apes. That is my favorite all time MST3K. It's a, it's a close tie for me between uh, Mitchell Baker, which is perhaps Good one of their choice. best episodes and of course my 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 god um, <laughs> we're gonna rip off the end of key largo mitchell up to yeah. 35 miles per hour um isn't uh, that, that a milestone episode isn't that, that is like joel's, joel's last as joel's yeah. last episode uh-huh. he escapes the satellite yes. of love in a box of hemdingers um and a close tie between that and one of my favorite christmas movies ever santa claus conquers the martians Oh, with, uh, yeah. hmm. oh, yes. That's an excellent. Young Pia Zadora. Excellent episode. I'm going to go buy myself a Golden Globe. <laughs> uh, my favorite uh, that just popped into my mind is Overdrawn at the Memory Banks with uh, Raul Julia. That Raul features Julia. the line, Mom, my nuts. They say that in the movie <laughs> for no apparent reason. And it becomes a joke. Wow. Uh, Andy, do you have a... I have... I have to go with marooned because it's uh it's a it's it's a really you, normally the the movies that they got to riff were geez, these like American International really really horribly low budget pictures. This is the first one I think where they got an actual like major studio release that got lots and lots of big budget. I, I think actually either was nominated for or actually won an Academy Award for best uh, best visual effects, and it starred Gene oh. Hackman. Like at like right shortly after uh, uh, after his his breakthrough role, so it was, it was the the premise of the movie was uh, like an Apollo like nineteen mission, uh, or I'm sorry, like a Skylab type mission. Like things start to break down, so they try to like bring the astronauts back down, but there are malfunctions, and the entire movie is all about how do we rescue these three astronauts. So it was actually, and I actually saw the original movie, which was not a terrible movie. But when they get this, when they get something that's actually, enter- when you take a, when you start with a movie that's actually entertaining to begin with, and then you add like eight comedians spending two days trying to make it even funnier, that's pretty good. And also, and also they talk about callbacks that just fill the rest of your life. There are so many lines from Mystery Science Three Thousand that could. Good, that could fill a great one-hour seminar, valuable seminar in filmmaking, and one of them is just when Tom's. It's a running gag where Tom, where uh, Tom just keeps saying, "Gene Hackman is always good." <laughs> like, he'll deliver. Like, like at the beginning of the movie, it's like, uh, like okay, uh, our two pressures at one point five percent. Oh, Gene Hackman is always. And it's true. Gene Hackman is always good. So that's that. That would be my favorite. Mitchell would probably, if I thought of Mitchell first, I probably would have been cursing you for taking mitchell first but i didn't think of mitchell first so ren are you are you deep in the knowledge of the mst3k or not i'm not very deep in the knowledge of mst3k i um when i at college they had like a weekly mst3k night which i would swing in and out of um i'm trying to remember some of the films i mean manos was the first mst3k episode i ever watched and that i mean that's a pretty good one that's a yeah, that's a classic, mostly because that film is unwatchable without the riff. I had a I had but, a uh, Torgo screensaver at one point where he just oh, I had that screensaver screen. too. Yeah, that's oh, that's dating us. There, and go. you said you didn't have friends. Oh, I had Torgo. <laughs> um, I actually yeah, and there, there was actually a movie that I I had seen um, I I had seen before it was MST three K um called The Unearthly with John Carradine and Tor Johnson. 
And that's um, and to this day, actually, my wife and I quote a line from that movie that that, that is was the little tag that they did at the end of the credits. In fact, when they did an MS three T three K, which is you learned too late that man is oh, a thieving is, creature. Ta- time for <laughs> go to bed. Oh, <laughs> Tor Johnson. The uh, the uh, and the in the feature film itself, the MS three K feature film is actually pretty good as well. This Island Earth, oh, I believe, is Island the movie. Earth, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. that has yeah. some great moments. I feel like we've just created like a mini episode of inside inside this other episode. It's a bonus episode. With the episode. Damn you, McNulty! I'm sorry. I felt it had to be said. It, it did have to be said because otherwise we'd be talking about the Big Bang. Theory. Sorry, it's not. Who wants it's to not. Talk about that? It's not a sitcom, so you lose. Damn it! No points for McNulty. No. 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 Negative points. Yeah. Andy, did you come bearing a uh, a show that you would like to talk about? Yes, I'll uh, I'll name the two finalists before talking about the one I chose. I I, I at first thought I was going to go deep catalog and talk about square pegs. Because if you're talking about no, ooh, ooh, that's that's such a nice. Ooh, oh, I didn't even think about square pegs. Yeah, oh. it's, it's it's a nice deep catalog selection. Uh, it was more about more about geeks than nerds because we were talking. It was the the central characters were like it takes place in Wemoe High School. Social outcasts are trying to become part of the part of the popular clique, uh, and it really was plugged. If you were like a, a in high school in the eighties, either you were one of the four central characters here, or you knew one of the four central characters, and were trying not to be one of the four central characters in this thing, uh, because the the the. Uh, uh, I will, oh, goodness. I, I, it, it was produced by uh, Ann Beats, who was a former writer on Saturday Night Live. So they, you get things like guest, episode, guest episodes with uh, Bill Murray. Devo played <laughs> one of the characters' bar mitzvahs during an episode. So if, if, any, any sitcom that has Devo as a guest star, okay, that's going to that's gonna be a great one. Um, I was thinking about Clerks, the animated series. Also pretty brilliant for, for a six-episode run. Yeah, and I was pretty shocked that it got canceled. I think, what, they aired one episode and then didn't air, like, any of the others that they'd produced. That was going to be a hard show to sell. That's true, because it it, it really was, like, the like the, the Clerks, the movie, you know, the original movie, all those characters, they expanded, they, they expanded the show by having, like, uh, Leonardo, the evil like land developer who runs the whole town oh, of Leonardo, yeah. you know, isn't it New Alan Jersey. Baldwin too? Uh, no, Alan Rickman. Alan, no, I thought. Oh, okay. No, 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 because he had that wonderful voice, uh, and it's also it's also a good one to pick up. Not only because it's That's like a Kevin Smith like production, but also every the there are voluminous uh, commentary tracks on every episode. So it's sort of like everyone is where there's a smodcast in which you're also watching a cartoon while you're listening to the smodcast. Um, but I really, I felt as though I couldn't, although, although I was prepared to defend Big Bang Theory, um, I don't we'll think that uh, if we're talking, if we're talking about geeky sitcoms, you really have to start and end the list with Futurama. I don't think there's ever been a television show as geeky as Futurama in terms of how deep a lot of these references go, where uh, Bender the Robot drinks old, a beer called Old Fortran. They have an entire wow. episode that's based on what if the Futurama universe was done as a 32-bit or 8-bit video game, so all the animation is done like an 8-bit graphics. There is an entire episode. And I'm too dumb, so I had to, I had to go look this up. So let's let the record show that I am a consulting reference for this. Uh, but... They did an entire episode that 
you, you've seen you've seen the idea of a body swap like sort of a sitcom plot before like in science fiction and stuff like that this one and the, the the joke here is that all the cast characters keep like doing body swaps to get out of little jams until like they don't know how to and that there's a limitation on the machine where once someone has been swapped once they can't swap again to someone who's already been swapped and so because one of their writers and here's more greek credibility credibility one of the writers is actually a phd mathematician he came up with an entire mathematical proof proving that under the limitations of this machine, there is never any point under which it is impossible to put everybody back in their original bodies using a maximum number of bringing in two people from the outside who have never been swapped before. And this actual proof, they don't, that, that's not like, a, that's not like a, a joke element of the plot. It is an actual worked out proof that it actually is actually displayed on a chalkboard. So if you are a PhD mathematician, you would look at that chalkboard and say, Gosh darn it! That is that does actually work out. I freeze framed it on on my Blu-ray DVD. I've wasted two days of my life confirming it, but yes, I'm willing to I'm, I'm willing to judge this paper and 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 uh, and uh, certify that you in fact are a doctor. But on top of all the really like cool and funny surface references, I sometimes I'm a big fan of the show, and sometimes I have a hard time convincing myself that there's ever been a better animated series ever. Because in terms of the quality being consistent from episode to episode, also in terms of the writers and the producers never shying away from doing something the really, really hard way, where you can see where Family Guy, they would do do a really stupid, obvious retread a joke and get out of there. With The Simpsons, still a funny show, I'm still a fan, but they would figure out that, oh man, we really don't want to get involved in this, do we? So let's just pursue this for five minutes and find a way to abort and go on to the next thing. Futurama, one of my favorite episodes of future of not just Futurama, but any TV sitcom ever, any TV show ever, was an episode called Godfellas, where the the joke is that Bender the robot gets shot out into space, like towards the sun, and he's and the 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 the, the Planet Express crew feels as though he's lost forever because he's just been shot way the hell into deep space. They're, they don't know where he is. They don't know how to get back to him. And meanwhile, microbes on his robot body have started to, like, grow and evolve into sentient, like, tiny, tiny microscopic beings. And they regard Bender as a god. And that's a good setup for about five or ten minutes of jokes about, okay, well, Bender, the most selfish creation on the entire Earth. Of course, he's going to have them, oh, well, I'm, I'm your god. I demand that you build a brewery so that I can have beer to drink while I'm lost in space. But they go through all those sort of sort of things. But then they pay off to the end where... The colony sort of kills himself, divides into factions because they don't they don't agree on how best to worship Bender. And he realizes that, oh, man, I tried to, like, rescue them. I tried to save them. Nothing works. Then he finally winds up almost at the end of the universe confronting, uh, incidentally confronting a feature that uh, a creature that may or may not be God. And this creature talks in binary code so so Bender can understand him. And they have a conversation. And obviously, he's been in this God business a lot longer than Bender has. And says, well, you know, you, I know you tried, but sometimes the best thing to do is if you use a light hand. And sometimes if you, if you, know, if you know you've been doing your job well, they'll even question that you even exist to begin with. And at the end of the, end of the, by the end of the episode, you realize that, my goodness, this is like a whole year course in theology. And this is every, <laughs> this is every single minutes. discussion of... Yeah, this is like every single heavy discussion about the nature of God and why it's not necessary to know that there is absolute proof of God to suspect that a God exists. 
you know, what, what, what is the, what is the sort of God that you would believe in? Would you believe that there is a God that simply doesn't want to get involved? It's, it's very much a, 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 a deist instead of a theist version of God. And the fact that I know the difference between deism and theism and can use them in this episode demonstrates how much work they put into like actually prosecuting every idea to its fullest. So from surface level stuff to profound turn off the TV and wonder about the existence of it all stuff. I really don't think there's ever going to be another TV show show that can at least top it. So we're going, I I will promise this to the great, uh, incomparable listening audience. We will do a whole episode about Futurama at a later date. And Glenn Fleischman is crying somewhere that Andy just spent all this time talking about Futurama and Glenn's not on the podcast because I think it's his favorite show. So we will do a whole, we, we were talking about a Futurama episode, and now I'm, I found somebody else who could be a guest on it. Ha ha! Um, also, I should say that I, I, I previously disqualified animated series, and I, therefore I would bring down the hammer and disqualify Andy here, except I have, with allowing Scott to talk about MST3K, which isn't even a sitcom, I've completely lost control of the podcast, so I give up. Great, Andy. Thank you for picking <laughs> Futurama. So I wanted to talk about there are two sitcoms I want to bring up. One is the one that I'm going to I'm going to promote here, and then I think I think we we do need to actually discuss the other one before we go. Um, so so Community, yay! Woo. I, I have to bring up, and of course, as we all know now, Community has uh, we got the uh, the one two punch of Community being renewed for a fourth season to get it up to a more um, syndicatable number of episodes. And uh, as a part of that, they also fired the Dan Harmon, who is the creator and showrunner and sort of the madman who made that show, presumably made that show what it was uh, and replaced him with uh, some other guys who I'm sure are going to try their very best to make a funny show, but are not the guy who essentially made it what it was. So uh, yay and boo. But uh, regardless of what happens in that fourth season of uh, Community, uh, we have the first three. And this is a show that on one level is, I mean, it is a geeky show in that it always had popular culture references from day one. The first episode is the Breakfast Club references, especially come Fast and Furious. Um, And and so it always had a a referential nerdy kind of approach. But uh, and of course, the character of Abed is from the beginning a a giant media uh, nerd and and makes lots of uh, cultural references himself. But over the course of the three years, this is a show that did uh, one of the very best depictions of Dungeons and Dragons in yes. television. Yes. Um, in the episode Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, as every episode is named sort of like <laughs> a college course. Um, what else do they do? They did Remedial Chaos Theory in the third season, which is the episode where the rolling of a six-sided die leads to seven uh, different timelines from the darkest timeline, where um, a, a, a horrible garden gnome is eaten by one of the characters while it's on fire, and somebody's arm gets cut off, and people are burned, and it's terrible. Uh, all, to just to the one that ends up becoming the the real. Uh, timeline at the end which is a much nicer timeline because joel McHale's character is sent to the pizza guy instead of everyone else going to the pizza guy great fantastic episode don't forget the 8-bit 8-bit video game episode right which video game episode yeah which was so good so unsurprisingly out of nowhere good and cribs its plot from ready player one yeah that's <laughs> strangely enough <laughs> indeed a better, a better depiction of Ready Player One. Oh, Ready Player One. oh. take that, Ready Player One. Yeah. Sorry, um, two yeah. seasons of paintball. 
fighting. Well, and awesome. in the first one, one of the greatest action movie homages ever, ever done. Yes. Uh, um, my dinner the with Abed. Bass Christmas special. My dinner with Abed. Yeah. Yeah, the recurring Inspector Space Time, which is oh, yeah. about as loving oh. a Doctor Who uh, homage as one would ever expect to find on mainstream American television. And of course, the Dreamatorium, which makes all things uh, possible. The Dreamatorium. Possible. Which is the holodeck. It it's a room holodeck. painted like the next generation holodeck where Troy and Abed uh, have their own uh, imaginary playtime. And then there's the episode where Annie and Abed are in the Dreamatorium, right? That he's. Mm-hmm. he's yeah. Which is one of those last episodes. So, you know, I, I don't know. There's so so much. There is so much because it is. There are individual episodes that are, that go over the top, and then sprinkled throughout, just an incredible number of of funny references. Uh, I never never get the sense that the show is is laughing at the nerdiness as much as embracing it and loving it. And and it's a show with a with a a good heart, or at least as good a heart as a show can have when uh, Chevy Chase is on it. Oh, oh, burn. Oh. The thing I really like about this show is that at its heart, you basically have a bunch of archetypal characters. I mean, you get them fleshed out to a certain extent, but uh, episode to episode, the theme of the group is more or less the same, where the, there are these people who have come together by sort of uh, unwilling means and have developed sort of a community and a Hey, uh, and a friendship uh, from that, what? and uh, and I when I first started watching the show, uh, in the back of my head, first thought was, I do not understand how this show keeps on being on television, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> and then the second thought was, basically, they're just taking these characters and throwing them into the wackiest, different situation they can per episode. And if you look at it almost as like a, you know. Plopping, plopping characters in different situations and be like, all right, play with this. See how this goes. Let's have fun. It's it's not as if the sitcom, it, it didn't work as a sitcom. There are episodes that are very much more mainstream because they went off format a lot, but they also stayed on format a lot. And those episodes are good too and have funny, interesting, and, and kind of geeky things to talk about too. So it, it wasn't as if this is a show, I'm talking about it in past tense, it, it, you know, it, it's it will be back. Uh, without Dan Harmon, but it was be fair. It's more like the fourth season of Coupling. Uh, but that was Stephen Moffat actually did the fourth season of Coupling, so I don't think we can say that. I, I thought about mm-hmm. mentioning Coupling too. Anyway, so so but the the show it, it didn't just work when it when it did the crazy weird episodes. I think I think that the characters were strong and 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 for a show with seven a sitcom with seven characters, one of the amazing things about Community is that. Um, I think you can draw a line between all any of those two characters and say if you watched the first three seasons and say something about the relationship between those characters that it's not as if you know those characters are dynamic and they they have an interesting interaction with every other member of the ensemble which is hard to do I think especially in a, a sitcom with as many wacky things in it and as, and I appreciate though that as as Ren said you know the, a lot of these characters started as kind of you know archetypes or cliches if you want to be less generous um personally my favorite character who i think has evolved the most since the beginning is troy who started out as very much sort of the jock character well, yeah he was the captain of the football team who right had to go to the community and and that is you know you see how that he develops through three seasons and especially when they get him to the point where he and abed basically become you know best buddies and the relationship between the two of them 
uh, ends up being, I think, one of the it's sort of at the heart of the show in, in many ways. Um, Trying our bed in, in the, the morning. morning. Uh, just it, it is a it is a fantastic show. So if, if there's anybody out there who has not seen Community, just go. I, I believe the the first seasons. I don't know if it's on Netflix. The first season's on iTunes for cheap. The other two aren't cheap, but the first one's super cheap, and it's great. Great show. Do you, Do you think that the bizarreness sometimes makes us, makes it hard to find an entry point for the series? Because that was the problem that I had with it. I, I don't think it's a bad series at all. It's just that I think I'm, I might have seen like you know how it is like you just see, catch like the last ten minutes of something or the last five minutes of something while you're like you know because your DVR went a little bit too long or whatever. Or you just got you know nothing to do on Thursday nights. So you happen to catch what you happen to catch, and it just never. I just never got into it because I really couldn't understand what I was seeing. So I, I didn't. I didn't make any sort of a judgment on it, but it really made it more difficult for me to say, "Oh, I really get that." Oh, that's a really cool character. Wow, I really like how unpredictable that twist was. I just didn't figure it out enough to want to see the next no, episode I, I think that's one of the problems with the show's accessibility i think that's one of the reasons it never has had great ratings and i yeah. i think as great as those off format episodes are they i don't know how accessible they are they 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 benefit greatly from you knowing what the characters are and 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 they can be quite bizarre and and yeah. the first season has many more on format episodes i do feel like uh, at the end of the first season they did the the paintball episode and i felt like that was a turning point in that they decided this was great and they were going to do more like that and the good news is their off format episodes generally were great and not bad but they were weird and off off the format you know it could have gone really wrong where they just decided in the third season there's a point when they went on hiatus where i feel like they just said they didn't care anymore and they were just going to go as far <laughs> as far off the the plot as they as they could and they wouldn't care but i think that's i think that harms its accessibility uh to to have these kind of bizarre tangential episodes but uh if you if you start from the beginning i think you would be rewarded it's a very 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 smart and funny show i'm so i'm suddenly cursing myself because talking about it this way made me suddenly remember uh, chris elliott and get a life <laughs> which which would have been a good pick for well let's not get into it because that's another like half hour in and of itself but it had the exact same problem it was a, i loved that show it was a wonderful show but it was so hard for if you didn't know the chris elliott character and also if you also didn't know like he's the son of bob elliott who he himself like is part of bob and ray if you didn't understand the whole premise of bob and ray's comedy it's hard to really get into it and understand why are these two guys, two radio guys, just having a conversation about light bulbs? Why is this so hysterically funny? Why are you laughing at this? You don't, you don't understand. It's Bob and Ray. There's totally deconstructing this and that. You, you, you laugh about like by the numbers sitcoms, but they really do make it easy for you to figure to orient yourself and figure out, oh, okay, I know what they're doing here. Okay, this is actually good for what, for what they're doing. I remember stumbling on an episode of Get a Life, and and it was – I mean, I knew who Chris Elliott was from David Letterman, but right. um, it's an episode where at the end he's sitting waiting for somebody like outside a gate, and and it's a show that keeps dissolving, and he gets old, and then he's a skeleton. That's <laughs> he, the end of the episode. He's dead. He, he, he dies. He died, he died about what, two-thirds of the episode. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So um, – so should we talk about the Big Bang Theory? Because no. it's the—I feel like it's the elephant in the room that there. It, mm. In the chat room, we have people saying, "Oh, I can't wait for them to t to tear apart the Big Bang Theory." And I—I I don't know. I mean, it is the show that's about geeks and and geek culture. It is a sitcom where the 
the four main characters, four of the five main characters, I guess we we should say, or or seven now, um, <laughs> are are uh, geeky gentlemen, and and so I, you know, the pilot. I'll say this: the pilot of the Big Bang Theory is maybe the worst sitcom pilot I've ever seen. Uh, I, I saw, although I saw the original pilot, I, they may have actually reshot some of it, but I, I saw right. it the summer, uh, the summer before it went on the air, I saw the original pilot. It was very bad. Um, and yet I have to say, uh, having watched, uh, I, I think I tuned back in later in the first season after I heard some people praising it. I actually like the show. I actually think it's a perfectly good serviceable uh cbs uh filmed in front of a live studio audience uh, you know mainstream ish sitcom and i don't think it i i think it has more love toward um nerdiness Absolutely. than it than it it uh sort of makes them out to be the butt of jokes i think there's more affection to it i think it humanizes them i think uh and i think there are lots of very funny nerdy references in the show which wouldn't I, if this was something that was a sanded down um no no smart references just really using these guys as as geeks to laugh at i would feel differently about it but i actually think for what it is which is a very mainstream cbs sitcom i i actually i i like it i i still watch it i have seen every episode of that show i will uh, i will say i'm on i'm on the flip side i've only seen like two episodes ever and mostly things i just caught by accident <laughs> do not do not recall laughing at at pretty much anything i saw in there and also i i don't know i i did not feel that the show seemed as affectionate to me in some ways not that it was mocking it doesn't like you dan well it hates that's you possible but I, it felt a little bit like uh felt a little bit like ready player one in that oh. it was oh no <laughs> no i mean in that it was kind of geeky and clearly the people writing it had some you know had some fondness for for the subject matter but at the same time just trying to I think I, well, it has it has the problem of uh, the a lot of the sitcoms by that producer in that I know that there's going to be at least five crotch jokes that I'm just not going to enjoy at all. Where you, you just sort of see that drone coming and saying, "Oh God, it's going to be a premature ejaculation joke." Okay, here we just get it over with. Let's move on to something more fun. But I, I, I've I've heard a lot of complaints that it makes fun of geeks instead of like making making jokes from within that community, and I honestly believe that. If you feel as if, if you feel as though a geek can't take a punch, stay inside under your comforter with your inhaler and just be in a protective little bit. It's I think it's a positive thing that it's okay to make fun of this part of humanity that we're that that we're that much uh we're that we're we're, we're that prominent uh, a member of society that we can be made fun of just like you know the the just 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 like the uh the jock can be made fun of just because just like the 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 elite rich snob can be made fun of and also i really do think that most of the humor does come from a good place where they will go for some of the cheap jokes uh, from time to time uh but at the same time you know Len the, the, the leonard is really the emotional core and the intellectual core of the entire show in that he you know he does he does have a problem digesting digesting dairy products but he's also the guy who really will reach out to other characters and help them along he's the guy who is it's not just oh i'm a nerd i can i i will pine after the blood across the across the hall but i will never be able to to follow through on anything because i'm such a nerd no he actually you know goes through what he thinks his weaknesses are he also defends himself 
uh, for what his strengths are. I mean, he he was proud of the fact that he will argue about a, uh, ar- argue about a movie or argue about a certain comic book character. And I, I just and it's just a lot of really good smart humor on top of it. The 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 scene that the the scene that really really got me that really got me hooked was uh, an opening uh, opening episode black up before the first commercial in which they've all cut the whiteboard out and they're trying to solve the problem of which how can all four, four of them find a movie theater that can has that has the movie the movie they want to play the right THX sound system the right candy the right everything so that every all these variables could be conglomerated and a solution could be found and announce immense diagrams are being charts are being done and then suddenly Leonard just said, looks at the board and says you know, there really is only one solution to this problem. Then he's silence. See a, see a Sheldon. And then the three of them leave and leave him behind. They realize that Sheldon is the reason why they can't figure out how to do that. So as, as the audience is laughing and Sheldon is watching them retreat, he looks back at the board and he just says, they're absolutely right. They're, this really was the only solution available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, and the show has evolved too. I, the, the characters are, are not kind of encased in amber like yeah like, they're different like, now than they were in season one yeah except for they, they, they've that's evolved except for sheldon but you're right but that's his deal and even even he has evolved to a certain extent but it, it's you know it's an interesting dynamic the adding the other um, women characters in i think is actually a, a i'm fascinated by because i sort i sort of feel like they've created a parallel show within their own show with a with the the women characters interacting with each other as well as the men and the women uh, and their relationships together that it, it it's it's really taken me by surprise because like I said I saw the pilot I thought it was bad uh, I for whatever reason heard that it w- it wasn't maybe so bad and tuned in and have then witnessed it uh, evolve you know again I, I don't want to give it a backhanded compliment by saying it you know it's a mainstream sitcom it is in that format and yet within that format I think it does a lot very well and is is you know generally respectful the uh, the references they make are right. The things that the the characters care about that are geeky, uh, whether it's comics or TV or or video games, you know, they are things that that geeky people actually do care about mm-hmm. and do argue about, and they don't resolve them incorrectly. There, there, like with Futurama, where there are uh, insanely nerdy things that are right, like what, including diagrams on a chalkboard. Um, Big Bang Theory. You know, it, it feels like it gets that stuff right, and it it and uh, uh, it would be very easy to not care and get it wrong and go for things that were incredibly broad and wrong because we're really just laughing at these people, and it doesn't do that. So, so much to my surprise, I have to say, it is and you know continues to be a pretty uh, a, a pretty good show. I think it may be the only completely standard uh, multi camera sitcom show that I watch. In fact, mm-hmm. at this point, yeah, I would, so, I would throw it just to throw out a, a corresponding one, which is also a CBS multi-camera sitcom that I would argue is fairly geeky, which is How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's like it's it, you know what I think How I Met Your Mother is geeky because it's a sitcom with continuity. Well, it's also <laughs> no, I mean to be fair, they had an entire episode that's about watching that's about watching the Star Wars trilogy. I mean, that's they had true. an entire episode about that. They have many, many episodes. Only nerds reference. like Star Wars, so. Well, I mean, but of like that, that make an appointment to watch it every three years. And they, and they yeah. mark their life by the, what happened every time they watch the Star Wars trilogy. And at one point, Ted, like, wants to break up with a girl who hasn't seen Star Wars. I mean, you know, it's not uber geeky, but I think there are a lot of geeky references in it. Um, you know, and it, and in some ways, it's a more... 
it's a less stereotypical version of geekery, which is to say they do geeky things, but they are not necessarily defined by their geekery. Right. Although, actually, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's character, although he is a Lothario in, in He is a stormtrooper. He is his, a gigantic yes. nerd is underneath it all. This is true. Those, those are the two shows on CBS that I, that I watch. To link in with, uh, to link in with Andy's uh, comment earlier, Chris Elliott also appears, uh, has a recurring role as Allison Hannigan's father. Um, not no, to mention he's back. several character, you know, several actors in that show who are well known for being on extremely geeky television shows, such as Neil Patrick Harris, Allison Hannigan, Jason Siegel. You know, right? That's a uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of geek uh, tie-ins with that. So I I think you could make a strong case for it. Yes, Jason Siegel, who was in Freaks and Geeks, which Indeed. was although not a sitcom, a fantastic show with the other I think my other favorite Dungeons and Dragons uh, <laughs> reference, mm, Carlos the Dwarf. Yes. Uh, I think the um the designation for me about geeky sitcoms is really if you were to remove the geeky elements from the sitcom, would it still be an enjoyable show? And would you still go out of your way to watch it? And for most every one of them on my list, I could say, yeah, you take out I mean these elements are fun and they enrich the experience, but you take the geek out of community and it's still a show about interesting characters who happen to have interesting things. You take the geek out of space and you still have, you know, a group of friends who loves each other very much and gets into shenanigans, whether or not they be geek influenced in nature. You take the geek out of like Big Bang Theory. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, if you take the geek out of Big Bang Theory, you have a, a sitcom about a blonde woman from Nebraska who lives in an apartment across the hall from an empty apartment. <laughs> it's a less interesting, you, uh, but probably funnier. Isn't it a little bit like saying taking taking the army out of Mash? The, the worst, no, the, well, the, the, mean, worst the, the worst episodes of Mash were the ones where it really became, "Hey, let's let's we work in a brewery. Let's challenge the other brewery to a bowling match." <laughs> And they they really did an episode. That was, that was my favorite fun. episode of of uh, Laverne Shirley. What? What? <laughs> Shamil, Shlamazel. Uh Big Bang Theory is awful, by the way. So I, that's <laughs> that's all I want to say. <laughs> but no, let it out, Scott. Let it out. Let I, it all hang out. So I, I cannot say this scientifically, since I've only sat through four episodes because I felt that as a geek I should watch The Big Bang Theory, uh, which I think is their twisted way of getting me to well, watch that's just it. wrong shame on them it is it is shameful and it, i you know i have no i think it's uh authentic right they get the geek stuff right i was i didn't have any nerd rage about you know green lantern doesn't wear that ring uh in uh when it's al jordan uh no that was all Did fine you, and, and you didn't feel a hey they're making fun of me no i just felt like you're just offended by the comedy it, this is in the jokes insulting they tried to make people happy and then you had to kill it Exactly. This is this is a Chuck Lorre sitcom, people. This is, is not good television. He's the man who did Two and a Half Men. I have to agree with you on that. I, I have yeah, to sort of Chuck, put past Chuck Lorre does does not only make bad shows. He has made good shows too, but uh, he has Mike also made very bad shows. And uh, he is not a good sitcom maker. And I think he should be stopped. Yeah, he 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 has, he has made he, good sitcoms. He has made good shows, and he has, and and he has made successful shows. Well, yeah, He's very rarely made both at the same time. There are, yes. Uh, he is very successful. People like it. I don't know why, um, but uh, I think those people are wrong. <laughs> that's why you're on this, despite your headache. That's why I wanted you on, <laughs> is to denounce any positivity about the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory is not. And like I said, I mean, it gets all the, the facts correct. Uh, it just is not funny. 
which is and that's very subjective. So obviously, if if you think it's funny, that that's fine. You're wrong, but you can be wrong if you like. You just lost more points, Scott. Oh man, you're now in the negative. What else should we before we go? What else should we mention? Uh, a lot of people. I I thought we were going to talk about the IT crowd, which I guess I should mention the English sitcom, which is funny about a uh, not the a, American version. Um, I, I haven't seen the American version. I, I, I steer clear of American versions of English sitcoms, but the, the English version, which I think is on Netflix is, uh, is very funny about, uh, an IT help desk who is not largely helpful and it's broad and strange and, and, and funny. I, I don't and know if an... anybody has seen besides me and it's kind of only like borderline geeky, but there's a British sitcom I saw last year called Spy. Um, no, which is about no. a kind of hapless um, guy who works in like a computer shop and decides, you know what, I'm going to quit my job. And he goes in for what he thinks is a job interview and accidentally ends up interviewing at uh, basically like MI5, MI6 or something like that and, and this... accidentally becomes a spy. It's a cute little half hour sitcom and ran for like six episodes. Um, <laughs> but it, I don't know. It made me think of it because he is kind of a hapless geeky guy um, who just happens to end up as a super spy. Any other sit- sitcoms we ought to we ought to talk oh, about yeah. before we go? Uh, would the young ones count because they were all oh. they were away? They were punks. Oh, yeah, that was punks. a that was a, that was a they great show, and it aired on MTV in in the US. That that is a great great show. I have fond memories of the young ones, and in true English tradition, I think there were like nine episodes of that show. Right. What 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 is this bizarre idea they have about ending a sitcom before it starts to stink? Yeah, Rick Mayall and uh, who else is in that? Alexi Sale. Eight out. Uh, Actually, Edmondson. that was very much like um like Community in the sense that there were or 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 uh, or uh, Get a Life where there's bizarre like Alexi Sale was various characters mm-hmm. and when he appeared he sort of didn't make any sense and was. It was non sequitur ish. It was almost Monty Python like levels right. of non sequitur ish in the middle of these, um, these sitcom plots involving these penniless uh, uh, college students living in a completely de- were they just squatting in like a, an abandoned house? I'm they, not they, sure. They had student they had student housing because they they did have a landlord, Mr. Bolovsky, also played by Alexi Sale. I oh I I am reminded of the other show that I meant to I meant to mention and didn't which is Red Dwarf which is the only uh, real sci-fi space sitcom I think that ever had any success at all and it's bizarre and it got bad as it went along and they're still making them I think now again but but I I I watched that with a lot of skepticism and I actually liked the first few seasons of Red Dwarf it's a very strange broad kind of thing but uh, you know I actually kind of like Red Dwarf I like the, the, I, I like the two spaceships and and uh, I mean it is a spaceship outer space sitcom it, it is unabashedly a sci-fi sitcom and and uh, uh, Crichton the android played by Robert Llewellyn who you might also know from Junkyard Wars if you remember back in the day I will I will mention I think I mentioned it on our uh, episode about shows that got canceled too fast um, uh, the cartoon show Clone High which I oh. would argue is also fairly geeky. Um, See, I, 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 I was I, leaving that out out of respect for Jason. For the no animation role that Andy brought. Yeah. Mm. I, well, I'm just, okay, the lid's of, off. I'm sorry, but it was not in the document that I was presented with as the yeah, terms true. for this show. Clone, Clone High is a good one. Uh, the Tick. Uh, uh, yes, The Tick, an excellent choice. Animated and live action. Yeah, and the live action, mm-hmm. even if we take the no animated rule, the live action, that was a, that was a half hour 
superhero comedy. <laughs> American Raid. Batman will. Batman will. And uh, yes, and Arthur. And, and the Tick. Later, Mouse. No, well, the, yes, I know. The, I, I love the, I love Deflator Mouse in the in the cartoon, and yet Batman Well is also excellent. Nestor Carbonell is Batman Well. Now, now with the fact that the Look Well, even though it was just a pilot, starred Adam West and was written by Conan and Brian, would that qualify that as a geeky sitcom? Was it a comedy? Oh hell yeah! Okay, it, it was. I, it, I've, it, no idea it was a pilot it actually aired and it was probably the 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 most hilariously funny pilot of any sitcom that i happened to catch i was i was actively disappointed to find out that that was the only one that that they would ever actually make the 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 funnier than heat vision and jack which is my favorite pilot that never see that 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 didn't Uh, i guess my the disadvantage with that one is that it didn't live up to the uh, it it got so much hype uh, to me before i actually saw it that didn't live up to it Dan Harmon from Community wrote that. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, this has been a crazy and um, sometimes quite tangential walk through many funny things. But I thought this was great. I thought we covered a lot of a lot of great ground. Um, and so I'm going to say that we have had enough for this episode. And I would like to thank my excellent guests for being here, uh, fighting through a headache so that he could share his uh, love of 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 Mr. Science Theater. And so that he could share his hate of the Big Bang Theory. Scott McDulty, thank you for being here. Uh, I think hate overcame my headache. So uh, that's, that's good. a lesson to the kids. I'm glad you're feeling better. Be powered I'm glad by the hate. hate provided clarity yes, in your did. head. That that really is a great epitaph for anybody's tombstone. He was generous in love and generous in hate. It's true. <laughs> Although my hate will ensure that I never die, so. That's right. The hate keeps you alive. It does. Yes, I feel your hate. (laughs) It's swelling in you now. Andy and Iko, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You are a joy and a treasure, Jason Snow. Thank you. Uh, I I appreciate you coming on and and uh, and sharing your your love for funny uh, funny things, even if they were animated. Dan Morin, thank you. Let's never play again. I mean, it was great to be here, Jason. Thanks. Yeah. And Serenity Caldwell. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. It was lovely. And I will close with uh, perhaps the weirdest line from Spaced. Rabbits, 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 rabbits. I guess I need to watch more Space. Yeah, yeah, you do. I've only seen it half a time. So. Woohoo, I made a reference that no one got. I win this uh, podcast. I think Dad got it. <laughs> I think I got it. <laughs> you don't count. Uh, well, that's true. I'm used. To, I'm used to that. A meme <laughs> fell in the forest and nobody understood it. Was it still hip? Uh, yes. I say yes. All right, and I'd like to thank our audience for listening, and I hope maybe we've uh, turned you on to some new funny stuff that you didn't know about before. Uh, until next time, I am Jason Snell, the host of The Incomparable. Thanks for listening. 